Hello, I'm Neil Parrish and this is the first episode of We Can Do Both. I'm really keen to show you how we can produce good food and a good environment. Today I'm on our farm in Somerset in light refreshing rain. That would be fine if we hadn't had a monsoon before. Our land is right at the mouth of the River Parrot, being laid down as alluvial soils, very fertile over hundreds and thousands of years. And of course, it is good for growing food, but you also have to manage the water and the wildlife. In this episode, we are going to move further up the River Parrot into Sedgemoor, which is a huge area of low-lying land where the water needs to be pumped back into the River Parrot to make it farmable and look after the environment. Very similar to the fens on the eastern counties, very similar to parts of Yorkshire, parts of Cumbria, and so how we manage this land in the future is very important. On James's farm, he produces good beef animals uh, on his permanent pasture. Uh, he produces wheat and he, and he grows fodder beet. He has also been able to enhance the number of lapwing that are on his farm and he's very interested in, in getting the hares to, to populate more because they need to recover after the big floods that we've had in Sedgemoor. So today he will tell us all about the challenges between not only only farming and producing good food but working with the environment agency making sure the pumps are turned on soon enough so his land doesn't flood it's always a big challenge it's, it's doable but it's a challenge we're now over to james james winslade i'm third generation farmer so my grandfather started farming here back before the war and then um, during the war he used to grow potatoes and carrots uh, for the war effort to feed the country so it's not bad ground at all and, and your land james would be sort of quite peaty it's uh, it goes from peat to loam to clay so a mixture of all we've even got some sandy fields um which is unusual but um yeah we've got a real mixture of soil. and you are how close to bridgewater and how close we're four sea? miles uh, from bridgewater six or seven miles to the to the sea so we're right where the river parrot and the river tone uh, meet so we're on that t-junction and that is what causes us a few problems now and again um, my father farmed here all of his life we're beef and arable so we're self-sufficient everything we grow on the farm we feed back to the cattle that we fatten and then get sold for uh, meat and our local abattoir is at Langport which is four miles away so animals aren't traveling very far we breed our own cattle um, off of Hereford Cross cows with Charolais, Simmental and um, Limousin bulls. Just tell us really about um, your fields you see are different to mine. I, f I farm a little bit further up the river and when the tide drops, the water can get out of our fields automatically. The flappers open um, and it goes out into the sea when the, when the tide drops. But here you need to pump. So just tell us about really how you you you've got to manage water in Somerset because I mean Somerset meant um you know I think in old English summer grazing basically and so we're always going to get water in Somerset we're always going to get water in the levels but um explain to me how you manage water so that you can hold water at times uh, but you don't want it for too long uh, and then how does it affect you then with your farming 
There are um, natural floodplains. So um, in the old days, they used to have flaps off of each moor that used to, when the river used to overflow onto the land, they used to open these flaps to let it drain back into the river when the tide was going back out. Those don't get used so much now. We have more modern pumping stations. But where the tone meets the river Parrot, when the river Parrot is in full flood, the tone water sort of meets it and then can't get away, so it backs up towards Taunton and um, then overspills onto the moors. Now, Curry Moor is a, a big moor. It holds 10.2 million cubic metres of water. And that used to take weeks to fill up, and it's a designated reservoir now. Um, and then as soon as the water goes down in the river, they can then pump that moor off. But it used to take weeks to fill up. Now it takes days. The runoff and the change in weather, um, we have so much rain all at once that the moor just can't cope. The system can't, doesn't cope as well as it used to. So then the water comes over onto Armour, and Armour is a bowl. Now, you need to think of the river. The river is a raised water level carrier, so the river is the banks are higher than the land. So we are like a bowl, um, so all the water that comes into our bowl physically needs to be pumped back into the river. So if, there's, if our pumps can't cope, the moors fill up. Now, what we've been having over the last 20, 30 years is less maintenance on the river because of budget and monetary restraints from the Environment Agency. So less work has happened on the river, which the river is tidal. So we get river silt or sea silt coming up the river on an incoming tide and then because uh, we're very I think the river falls one foot every kilometer so it's quite a shallow river so that gives the time for the silt to drop and then silt up and I think it was when the silt was tested 80, 88% of it was marine silt not runoff from the land that a lot of people think it is um, it's actually marine silt yeah, you see, if I can just interrupt you for a moment, James. You see, where, where I farm is right by the mouth of the River Parrot, where it comes really round Burnham-on-Sea and comes off the Bristol Channel. The river is about half a mile wide there, so you're getting a lot of tidal flow. And, of course, you know, you're only a few miles up the river, and, of course, that silt probably came in uh, from the Bristol Channel and then is dropped. And, so, and of course, when I drove here today uh, to Moreland to see you, um, the river, as you quite right, say is above the road and that is why the pumping is so necessary yeah it's crucial for the village um there's a couple of hundred houses at moreland and Fourgate, and the local farms um you know mum and dad's house where we are now uh there was a property here in the doomsday book and it never used to flood um it flooded in 2014 and has been close to flooding um a couple of times prior since 2014 when Owen Patterson came down and we had the dreadful floods there was a decision to be made Owen said we need to clean the river out and set up the Somerset Rivers Authority so there would be a roof tax for everybody in the area to help clean the river so I think it was 2.8 million was going to be raised which the Environment Agency said that's what's needed to keep the river clean 
So the SRA, Somerset Rivers Authority, was set up. So they did start cleaning. They cleaned out the areas that had been silted up, up to 52%, in fact, you know, which is a major channel, silted up 52%. And this is why the water wasn't getting away. So that has carried on, and the drainage board, the local drainage board, also are involved with um, cleaning or helping to clean the river or getting contractors in and getting the right paperwork together, uh, along with the Environment Agency. There still needs to be more. It's an ongoing thing. It's, it's, it's a man-made river, and this is the difference between a lot of rivers in the country. This is a man-made river. The monks dug it in 1500s from a meandering river that it was prior to that. So anything man-made needs maintaining. And yes, it costs to maintain. But where we're sat now, we're six metres above sea level and we've flooded before. And there is a general feeling that they're using the moors, our moors, more and more to store water or to hold water because there's a major town of 38, 40,000 houses in Bridgewater that is below us. Mm. Now, my big issue going forward is that DEFRA want to... There's money. That's the Department of Environmental Food and Rural Affairs. Um, Used to be called the Ministry of Agriculture, but uh, over to you, Jim. That's right. They, they, They want to do more... Splash flooding, they want to keep the peat moors wet and to have a lot more water around. The problem with having a lot of water around is you've already filled your sponge with water. So then, if there's a flood event, the moors are already half full. So then the water is on the moors for twice as long as it should be, which then starts the vegetation rotting down. And also all the wildlife, all the, you know, we direct drill our crops, we don't plough, so we've got good bacteria and we really try and look after our worms. You see also James is holding the carbon into the soil, because I think what I'd like you to also to explain that is when the, if you leave the water on the moor too long, the vegetation starts to rot and of course that releases carbon could could you explain a little bit of that please well it's more or less exactly what you said if the water's there too long for over 20 days the vegetation starts rotting which is then releasing carbon so it's not good to have these moors underwater especially you know some of the moors in 2014 were up to 16 foot deep in water Mm. for way longer than 20 nearly three months which is uh, doing a major damage to the environment you know to all the wildlife that we had and I'm really keen as a farmer on the Somerset levels for the wildlife I love farming for the wildlife and we leave margins we have hedgerows we have trees trees and you know you see the kingfishers the barn owls we have owl boxes all around the farm the hare you know yes how many hares you have because we had sea floods in 81 and it's taken a long time to get the hares back to our land have you got more hares now we have now but we're nine years on um things started to change in the sixth year we started to see more wildlife coming back in the sixth year but we still haven't got all of our barn owls back 
And it's weird, barn owls fly. Why do they get suffered from the flood? Well, all of the rodents, all of the wildlife that they eat, and they're very territorial, so they didn't move out of their territory, but they had nothing to eat. And this is, you know, people don't think of these things, and it had a major impact to you see i think i think the point that unless you farm it um and with nature um you actually if you let too much water in for too long you actually destroy the nature that you're trying to enhance so i think james what would you like to sort of see um in an ideal world really um how how would you like to see it sort of farmed and managed into the future well, almost you need to go back in time. Uh, in my father's day, my grandfather's day is actually don't have it so high in water all the time. Don't already fill your sponge because, of, yes, the moors can protect properties, but we need to be more timely on getting water off. If we need to have water, we'll help have water but we need to be timely to get the water off not just say oh well it's going to be dry next month we'll leave it on there we've got plenty of time to get it off because of it's not you know the weather is so unpredictable you potentially aren't going to have that time and it costs huge amounts of money in a panic to get that water off you can't change the area a lot of people come in and say right you've got a rare lapwing there we're going to cut all the trees, all the hedges down, because lapwings don't like trees and hedges. Well, that's one lapwing. What about all the rest of the wildlife that are already there? They get very focused. EFRA, Natural England, RSPB get very focused on one species rather than looking at the bigger picture. And it's the same with the EA, in a way. They get very focused on... Environment agency. agency, Sorry. Um, They get very focused on one area, as in splash flooding us. And, oh, well, that's all right. We'll just park it there. Um, But actually, there's a bigger picture. There's 30,000, 40,000 houses lower than us that the water's got to go past. Also, my big issue is they keep building everywhere. And water is a precious resource. Why aren't we using this water? We, as soon as it's dry, we have a hosepipe ban. Mm. And there's reservoirs, new reservoirs. I can't remember when the last, before I was born, I'm sure, was last built. I think the last one was Wimbledon, and that was a long time ago. And I think, you know, the, the grey water they talk about, if we harvested the water off the roofs um, of houses, um, we could use it for the gardens, you could use it for the loos. Um, it is, a, you know, I think sort of hotter countries, drier countries have taken up this. But I think because we always think we're going to get enough rain, we don't do it. But, of course, you see, we go through, don't we? You know, you describe the the pattern of weather we've had this year. I mean, it's just been sort of wet, dry, wet. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a real challenge. We're still, we were lulled into a false sense of security slightly after last year, um, with it being so easy in farming sort of terms of getting the hay in and combining and not have the pressures of a storm coming this year we are so we're a month behind if not more you know at the end i think there's sort of difference in weather patterns isn't there definitely because we're getting sort of i I don't know whether you agree with me but we seem to get sort of long periods of wet and then long periods of dry we don't seem to get so much mixed weather anymore no we don't and the trouble is we'll have one or two inches in a day rather than um, 10 mil in a day in dad's time you know i remember as a boy when you had a storm of rain it used to take 
24 to 36 hours to, mm. for the water to come off the hills and you could see the coloration in the water in the ditches mm. and now it's within eight hours and that is a huge difference you know the runoff the runoff is great uh, the building above us is greater so the runoff is quicker some of these attenuation ponds which are ponds they put in around these housing estates aren't fully operational or don't work at all some do that needs looking at the water course the main rivers really nationwide need looking at because i'm a trustee of forage aid so we set up forage aid after the flooding in 2014 so we are a national farming charity that help people in severe weather events and we're all over the country and Nine times out of ten, it's because of a water course has is silted up Tewkesbury. They put in a new wall to stop Tewkesbury flooding, a new sort of, I don't know, it's about four million. But actually, when it, you look into the river, the river's silted up and full up with weed and trees. So if they And I think at Tewkesbury, you've got the water, it's, it needs to flow past Tewkesbury to the sea. And I think, you know, some of the upland rivers, yes, you can slow the water down, but in a lowland river, and, and, the, and the, um, the Severn um, is very like the Parrot, um, and they take a long time to get to the sea, and they're very flat rivers, aren't they? Yeah. And I think this is what we need to sort of explain to every one is that some rivers you don't need to dredge but lowland rivers you really do but back back to you james i don't want to hog the conversation no you do but we've also been up in carlisle where they've got the wall and then they've got a glass screen as well and it's been over the top now we were helping farmers above carlisle and they were saying we've been asking for the trees that are growing out of the middle of the little streams to be taken out because of we always used to manage it, but now we're not allowed to manage it. Um, and we were told no. And then these trees were uprooted because they're only in, rooted in amongst the rocks. They had huge amounts of rain. The trees were uprooted, which then went down and then destroyed several bridges. You know, all of these little things that people used to do don't get done anymore. And it's quite crucial to the working of these rivers. You know, Carlisle is completely different terrain to the Somerset levels. but So there's different challenges, but it's listening to the farmers, listening to the locals that have been here all their lives and can see the difference, which is key. You see, um, I've been a great lover over the years of, of what's called internal drainage boards. Now, these are farmer-run um, organisations with uh, that can do some dredging, can do some clearance, um, and they are locally run. Now, I think the Environment Agency needs to actually use them much more. And how do you feel, James, really? I think farmers themselves would be able to do some maintenance work on some of the smaller reens. How do you feel about that? And and how is it going? Because I was always told by, the, by uh, Sir James Bevan that they were going to devolve powers uh, down to the drainage board and to the farmers, but I, I don't know whether we've seen it. How, how do you find it on the ground? Uh, I'm on the drainage board as an area rep, um, and actually, yes, we are working more with the Environment Agency, yeah. and it's quite refreshing to have that, because we all want the same outcome. The problem is with the Environment Agency, they are shackled with a huge amount of red tape, which means they've got to use uh, 
certain contractors for certain things. Um, so I can understand where they're coming from. The drainage board, obviously, you have to do it proper, properly, and we are shackled with less red tape than the Environment Agency. And we don't need to use the same framework contractors as the Environment Agency, and that is where we can save money. Still do the same job, but save money. And yes, it is easier as farmers to do more work to uh, water courses. You see, a lot of the small jobs, you'll find that the EA will have to get consultants in, they'll have to draw up plans, and they've probably spent £100,000 on a job that probably only costs £10,000 to do. And now this is a, you know, it doesn't happen all the time, but I think there's quite a lot of that that goes on, really. Oh, there is, and we go back to the framework. People that they have to use, government set out the framework and the people they need to use, and the people they need to use know that they can only use them so then it's not a competitive market um, if that framework contractor framework were you know if the ea could go and source get a contractor you know and um, to do it like the drainage board can you can get good pricing you can get work done for half the money um, and it's not cutting corners by any way shape or form it's just you're not just just losing local people local yeah. farmers to be able to sort of maintain and keep the water flowing now what i'd like to do now really is sort of take you back to your farming here and the difference really between a year when you've been able to sort of manage the water at a reasonable level and get good production and um, compared to a year um i don't want to give you too many nightmares but going back to 2014 uh, we had the 1981 sea floods that's my nightmare um but you know i understand it's a nightmare but but you know just just compare really you know when when in a good year you know produce a lot of beef uh, cereals and things just go through a little bit what you produce and then you know the effect it would have um if you get too much water really we have around about 550 cattle at any one time on the farm we own well we're farming just under a thousand acres but we do rent 200 and some odd acres on the moor um, off of natural england as well so that's in a higher level stewardship agreement so this we, is where you'd have higher levels of water uh, and and not be able to do a lot yes. with it cut yes. cut quite late yes uh first of Jan- uh, first of july cutting dates uh, but we tend to graze with cows and calves and which suits us because of you know we the land is attached right right next to the farm so we can farm it uh how natural england want it to be farmed and it's good grazing ground we are tackling the rushes because it's been kept um in a raised water level area from the previous owner it's gone a little bit out of control in a bit of a wilderness now natural england hopefully if everything goes well uh, want to bring it back to how it used to be more pasture ground more flower meadows mm. on that area because of that's that, that area used to be flowery meadows used to be made you see, see james that's another issue that i have really is that if you raise the water level too too high you cut you you don't cut to too late in the year you just allow the rushes and the coarse weeds to take over um, and all the wildflowers disappear and i think that's probably what you've seen and is this it? is what has happened but rushes love really wet ground and so 
the only place the rushes don't grow is on the banks of the fields because every field has a ditch around it and that bank is slightly higher than the middle of the field. The banks don't have rushes on. Mm. The ground's just six inches higher out of the water than the middle of the field. So it's just that's really telling. So so going back to your... So you produce... You've got 500 cattle. Um, you produce quite a lot of cereals, yeah, don't you? 200 acres of cereals. Oats, barley... Oats is a break crop. Uh, beans are also a break crop. We then, but we mill those to the cattle. We grow barley, and we mill that to the cattle in a ration. And then um, we grow wheat because I need the extra straw for bedding in the winter. So, as an arable farmer, if there's arable farmers listening to this, they would be pulling their hair out. You're not growing it for the corn; you're growing it for the straw. The corn is useful; it pays for some of the fertilizer. We don't buy in very much fertilizer, but we don't have enough cow manure to spread over all of the grain. That all gets milled and fed to the cattle by the winter to wheat grain gets sold through Cannington grain all the straw is utilized we also grow hay for the cattle and also we have a livery yard here so we grow hay for the horses on the livery yard so there's so, so when so in a good year you get a reasonable crop of grain yeah. um you know uh, the grass would grow reasonable crop of silage and hay you've got a good lot of organic matter to go back because this is good farming again to have organic matter in the way of, of dung and manure going out on the land so that you don't have to use artificial fertilizer so that's in a sort of good year um then if you get a, a poor year would you be cut production by nearly 50 percent would that be an exaggeration in 2014 or? we cut production by nearly 100 mm. percent we had uh, 900 acres underwater for three months which uh, because it was underwater for so long it killed everything mm. so when the water did subside and we were able to get back on the ground the compaction was so great it worked out over 10,000 tonne an acre uh, had been sat on the land um, of water had been sat on the land for over three months so we really really struggled to get crops in and that's where we started going direct drilling because rather than trying to turn the soil over and subsequently looking more into direct drilling by turning the soil over you're releasing carbon so now we just literally direct drill into soils and we had a mediocre crop we did for the first year have to grow maize that year because we had no grass I still had the cattle, but I had no grass for them and no f- winter feed for them. Mm-hmm. So we had to buy uh, thirty-five thousand pounds worth of grass seed. We had to buy the maize seed to put in, and then I had to have the contractor in to cut the maize um, to put in the camps for winter feed. Now, normally. We would have the grass growing, we would rotate and put in 20, 30 acres of new grass lays behind the arable. This year we had to do the whole farm uh, and you don't get compensated for having water on your land. You, there's no insurance for having water on your land. Uh, the grain store that we had on the farm flooded. Now the grain was insured, but for fire, not flood. 
my grain mill was insured for fire and theft. Um, all the uh, mill gubbins that we have was all insured for fire and theft, all workshop tools insured for fire and theft, not flood. So I was out of pocket for all of that and had no compensation. And this is what a flood does. You, It's not your fault, but we are funding it out of our own pockets, So, which I think is wholly unfair because of we've stopped houses and saved the insurers millions. You see, what you've got to remember too about Bridgewater, we've got Hinkley Point um, now, Hinkley C being built, we have got a, a new battery uh, factory going to be situated was on the old ROF site um, at Puritan, which is, uh, you know, a 400-acre site. We are going to need even more houses. And, of course, when the houses are built, too much runoff. As James was saying earlier, we're not collecting the water. And, of course, all of that really lands up in the parrot one way or the other around Bridgewater. And yes, uh, so I think, you know, managing water will be um, and I think what I want to sort of say I think I want to sort of finish on a sort of optimistic note is of course the parrot is very tidal and so when the tide comes in it pushes the water back and so when in times of flood um, it it pushes the water back and this affects James very badly here at Moreland because you're actually higher aren't you here at Moreland than you are further out in, in, in De Sedgemoor but you're closer to the mouth of the river so I think this sluice um, which we haven't talked about that's going to go across will stop the tide coming in um, and allow the water to build up the fresh water and then release it so are you optimistic that if we can get the environment agency to manage the pumps properly and get the water out into the parrot um, that sluice should make a lot of difference I think don't you? Uh, Yes it will make a lot of difference depending on how it's used and this is my one reservation let's get it built and then have some conversation about how it's used because the Thames barrier was designed uh, to be used two or three times a year it's used over 40 times a year now I believe now the, the environment agency and DEFRA I don't plan on using this barrage as we see it being used now hopefully in time it will get adjusted but i thought well let's get a barrier put in first before we start trying to work out how they're going to use it because if the barrier will help without it you see where i farm uh, is is sort of right by the mouth of the river so i see the tide coming in and i see the tide especially when a lot of fresh water is coming out of the river coming out through the river i see the tide pushing that water back so as james has said reused in the right way i think this can make a, a huge difference because i want to see james you know farm properly like you are producing great food um but not um but working with the environment and water and holding water when you need it because i think this is your big plea isn't it really yeah it is you know i've got children who i've got uh children who want to come farming and are interested in farming and i want to you know i took on from my father who took on from his father and it's a good way of life i love farming sometimes i wonder why but I love farming. I love what I do. I love the countryside, uh, you know, and going out and seeing the animals, uh, wildlife in the, on my quad bike while I'm counting the cows. And I just want to make it 
better for them so that they haven't got to pull their hair out every five minutes and worry about... There's nothing worse than having a flood through your house. You know, the land is bad enough, but if the land is underwater for less than three weeks, it can cope. You know, we've had corn this year underwater for three weeks and we've still got a crop. It's not as good as it should have been, but we've still got a crop. So it's not all lost. But what I still think is, you know, don't flood all of the Somerset levels. Don't have it all underwater because you start releasing carbon. You've got to think of the wildlife that's already here. You know, it's there place their home as well if it's managed and if the water's pumped off in good time and trigger points have been altered which is good so the trigger points of when now the you... trigger yeah the trigger point is very much when the the pumps are to be used isn't it used, just just explain very briefly how, how that works so the trigger points if it if the moors are flooding if at a certain rate so i think it's 50 mil an hour rise or 25 mil an hour i'm not overly sure when a road start a certain road floods and then um, if it looks like there's another storm coming in a trigger point is met and then they start bringing auxiliary pumps in extra pumps in now the with the weather patterns changing that was designed back in 2014 and that was quite a long slow flood we did have a flood in january which is a very very fast flood so the trigger points have been altered the environment agency have altered them which is brilliant so we just need to be changing with the weather and with if it's global warming with global warming and the different weather that we're having um, and keep up with it don't sort of get lulled into effect you know that flood oh we'll do it on that flood well each flood is slightly different do you i think the issue for me is that um is making sure that you as the farmers on the ground are able to talk to the environment agency to tell them what the level of water is because i think sometimes it seems to dare i say it take quite a while for the environment agency to work out where the water is whereas you know exactly where it is it it does and also they have certain protocols so uh, like i do so i'm a rep so i'll go around i'll see the water in our area i'll ring the drainage board then the drainage board will ring the environment agency now obviously the environment agency only have so many staff on the ground at any one time and you have to get extra contractors in so i understand that but rather than leaving it until the last minute you know can we not be prepared a little bit more i know it's very difficult with the weather events like it is you know there's weather warnings for tomorrow now so you know but the thing of it is we do this because we love it we're having water to save houses further down and also further up from flooding i think there ought to be some sort of compensation some sort of recompense for our it's like me you buying a new house and then being told well we're going to flood your garden because of there's nowhere else for the water to go well you're paying a mortgage on that and you can't use your garden for three months well you'd expect some sort of recompense for that my farm is my garden i spend more time in my field than i ever do in my garden i've got mortgages on this land but i don't get any recompense any compensation i'd get nothing 
for, for managing water. No, and it's got to be a positive payment. You see, I think the payment over the years that have been put for farmers has been very much about loss of income. But you actually, if you're actually, if they got, want you to hold water for longer, then that must be part of your income, not loss of income. And also, what I don't want to then be told is. Well, you can have the water for as long as we like to put it because we're paying you. That's not the way it's got to be. It's got to be responsive. We'll well, because you've, you've made the point earlier that, that that will just make the situation worse because you'll be releasing, having too much water, the vegetation will rot, and then we're releasing carbon. So, and, and I think the other point I want to take you back to is, and I agree with you entirely, is how we get the conservationists in 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 the round to all speak with one voice because they do want different things i we where i farm they have a special beetle in the ditch well they want to very often we got very few hedges on them what's called the paulette hams which is a big moor um and and they sometimes they want to try and rip those hedges out to to allow the beetle to move around and yet you know all the other the bird species everything else that's down there really likes the hedges and so I think um, that would be my plea. I don't know how we do it, is how we get them to sort of come up with one voice. It is exactly. They've all got different ideas. And then every seems to be every 10 years, someone different then comes in as a boss and then they change their ideas again. Well, actually, the more are more. Um, these plants have self-seeded, have grown, and that's how... So uh, these moors have been here for millions of years. So what point in time do you want to put the pin in to have that moor? The moor has not been the same. You know, this was an oak forest centuries ago because we have bog oaks, which are fossilised oak trees under the ground. And um, it was, so it was an oak forest millions of years ago. So do you want to go back to that? How do you want it? We're not... It's never been always a wetland. That's right. And can I... When you're sort of in the winter, when there aren't sort of major floods and you've got sort of fields splashed over, uh, you've got sure, some fields sort of laid up for arable, um, where do you find the wildlife? You know, where are the lapwings? Um, are they... On the arable. Tend to be picking through the stubble or where we've spread, spread manure because if a ground does freeze they can pick through the bugs in the manure um, rather than if it freezes out on the moor the 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 splashed area is ice and they can't get through the ice you know there are some of the areas where there are rushes you've got um, snipe and um, nesting birds in there which is brilliant but you don't want it all like that because the lat wings come up, the hare, the deer, the hedgehogs. We've seen a uh, huge amount of hedgehogs around here uh, this year for the first year in years, which is really nice. You know, you see them up round, but we have margins around our arable fields that we leave long grass. So that and the barn owls, we always see the barn owls and the tawny owls. Um, and they up come round. into those margins. They yeah. come into the hedgerows. Yeah. See what you what what James is painting here is very much a sort of mixed um, farming environmental picture, and and I think what we must go forward with is always have that farming element. So there is a mixture of arable, there is a mixture of crops, because at times of the year the wildlife really appreciates, and and that's what you see on the ground. Oh uh, yeah, we see pheasants and partridge, which we you know where did the partridge come?
come from? Where have the pheasants come from? Then they are in the arable. Um, as we're combining, we see them and sort of have to go round the the little chicks and the nests and things like that. Um, and it's always there. You never see them out on the rougher grass. Well, I wouldn't want to be out there eating that old grass when I've got young grass up here. Um, but you do need a mix. You definitely need a mix because there are species that like the older grass, like the snipe. And even this year, we had cranes nesting out on the moor, um, which is the first year. We've got otters here. We've got, in a, you know, kingfishers, you name it. We've got. And I expect you get um, geese coming in. And, and again, the geese, I suspect, uh, arrive on the arable. We don't always want them on the arable, right. but, but that's where they arrive. Yeah we, yeah, we have a huge amount of geese and duck and, you know, wildfowl coming in. Yeah. But there's a variation. I tell you what, you've never seen so many duck as last year on the arable. And they're only using, they're migrating, they're not here all year round, they're on that arable sort of September time, grazing off hopefully not too many losses from the combine, but um, picking through it and then they're off again, and same with the geese, and it's a lovely sight to see. So that's why every farm needs to have a mixture, and... um, just to be farmed it's not we're not monoculture like in america it's maize maize and it's very monoculture even parts of eastern europe are the same yeah and the trouble is if you're using the same chemicals you're using the same well they don't use cow manure so much because of they haven't got it so it's fertilizers and it just is a monoculture and you you know whereas in england we are so varied we've got the beetles and we've got mm. everything and we're actually we're using less chemicals now and having um ladybirds coming in and to eating off the green fly or anything on the beans which is it's we're using natural processes that was james winslade telling you how he farms in Sedgemoor, managing the water and enhancing the environment and growing good food. I hope you found it interesting. I certainly did. Bye-bye from me, and I look forward to talking to you in the near future. <laughs>